thy weekend variety wireless. Oh, crikey, it's me. Later this hour, Michael Portillo. But I'm pretty sure that historians, when they look at Margaret Thatcher, will think that she was one of the two or three greatest prime ministers of the 20th century. <laughs> OK. Uh, and John Dibbing's been shifted to uh, just after the following uh, commercial break. And I want to say you should follow Ewan McCabe... Uh, on Twitter, he's doing his World Cup summary. He's the person who just watches every single game live and is changing his clock, basically, to effectively be on Russian time, even though he's in Wellington. Follow him at, at the World Cup Baby. No tricks in there. It's just at the World Cup Baby. I highly recommend him. After the break, John Divig. The Weekend Variety Wireless. John Dippig and his letter from America time. Hello, John. Letter from America. Letter. Land of the home. Letter to America. Land of the home. That doesn't make any sense. Home no. of the home of the free and land of the brave. Land of the brave. S- something like Other that. Other way around. Other way around. Kind of like, from yeah. shining seas. <laughs> but they're oceans. They're oceans. They're not seas. This land is my land. Home, home on the range. The entire American songbook with John Dibbig. Yeah, boy. I tell you, you're in for a torture session there. Nixon is a very good man. <laughs> no other song. Nobody can lick our dick. And, and <laughs> that was a slogan. Was it? <laughs> yeah. You are kidding me. No, that was in, in Whittier, California, which is where he's from. Big old banner across the street. Nobody can lick our dick. <laughs> See, they didn't think about it in those days. That's, That's it. <laughs> we'll just end there. That's, <laughs> it doesn't get better than that. There was the famous golfer in the 1930s. Well, and 40s, I think. Uh, Whiffy Cox. Whiffy Cox, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a great asset to the yeah. PGA. Whiffy Cox here. Such soft hands. <laughs> they got the weirdest named golfers. I've done a study there's, of this. There's, there's always a third or a fourth or... Yeah, Davis Love the third. <laughs> Somebody. Uh, it's hard to find an ordinary name in golf. Yeah. Dustin yeah. Johnson. Well, 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 even... even. should be Dustin Johnson, not Dustin. 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 Yeah, I know. And then the, the ex-president of the, the Masters Golf Club, his name was Hootie Johnson. Yeah. Hootie. <laughs> and the guy that handed out more checks for PGA wins than, than anybody else was the marketing manager for Coca-Cola. Yeah. Chuck Fruit. <laughs> I am not kidding you. You got you to go with it. Chuck Fruit. Chuck Fruit. <laughs> uh, doesn't beat the great Australian goalkeeper, of course, Norman Conquest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. There you go. Okay. Well, even in politics, yeah. you know, the, the senator from Arizona's name is Jeff Flake. Yeah. You know, and they asked him, you know, because he's, you know, he's going to bow out now. But before that, they asked him if he'd run for president. And he goes, with my last name? <laughs> no, I'm, I'll be busy on the PGA. <laughs> yeah. Okay, pocket full of posies. Yeah, now this is the, an old nursery rhyme. Bring around the rosy, pocket full of posies, tissue, all fall down. Now, urban legend has it that, you know, it was about the bubonic plague in London because they put flowers in their pockets when they when they felt they were getting sick. And then mm. when they started sneezing, it was pretty much over, and then they fell down. It's only urban myth. I've looked at it. Some people agree with it. Some don't. But the only reason I bring it up is there was a kid in Idaho got bubonic plague this week. Oh, 
got the bubonic plague. Wow. Yeah, and he got it from a, they went on a vacation in Florida, and he got it from a flea bite. Mm. Uh, now, I know in California, very rarely, once again, I haven't seen any cases in a long time, but very every once in a while, a squirrel bite will get you the bubonic plague. It's just kind of fascinating that, you know, mid-1550s, yeah. and this goddamn thing is still around. Yeah, it is. It's kind of hard to get rid of. And there are <laughs> cases throughout the world. Yeah, there's a um, famous case of a, another... It, yeah, in America, it's. It, I think it is endemic. It's. Uh, it's in the soil yep. or whatever. In the, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, although you can't catch smallpox anymore, and that's one of humankind's greatest achievements. Ah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, should remember his name. D uh, Henderson. Yep. Don Ed Don Henderson. Um, Lead singer for the Eagles. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> he got rid of, uh, got rid of uh, smallpox. Anyway, we'll okay. move on. All right. Uh, split down middle. Yeah, this is, you know, this is really, you know, like I said, I keep saying this, and you kind of poo-pooed a little bit, but America has never been so divided since the Civil War. I mean, that, and it's becoming more epidemic as the days go on. Um, Seth Rogen, the actor, oh. uh, was... Uh, met Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House, at a function, uh, and he had his two teenage sons with him, and he wanted to get a selfie. Paul Ryan wanted to get a selfie. And Seth Rogen just said, no way, man. I don't like what you're doing to the country. And then afterwards, he was saying, you know, he felt a little bit bad about saying something like that in front of the, the guy's kids, mm. but he thought, well, you know, they, they're old enough. they got to learn that just because you like something I did in the movies or yeah. whatever, it doesn't mean I like your dad. No, and also... Kids are often used as emotional leverage. Sure, yeah. sure. And, yeah. you know, yeah. hostage. Oh, think of the children. Yeah, hostage. Okay, so you got Seth Rogen. Yeah. Uh, uh, this week, you, you know, you had uh, um, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She was asked to leave a restaurant in Virginia. That, oh, no. That didn't vote for Trump. The owner, the owner took a vote of the, of the employees. They said they weren't comfortable serving her. So the employee, the, the owner, asked her to step outside and said, you know, we're not happy with you here. We'd like you to leave. And she left. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, this is the, this is the division. Uh, the Homeland Security Secretary, uh, I forget her name, uh, uh, some young woman. And, you know, she's really, you know, she's been lying through her teeth on this immigration thing. Mm. She's in, a, ironically, a Mexican restaurant mm. in in Washington, D.C., a bunch of protesters went in and stood around her table and screamed out, shame, 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 until she left. Uh, you know? So, I mean, this is division. This is division. You know, you're either for Trump or against Trump. Mm. I mean, that's, that's basically what it's coming down to. And it's know? about Trump because people find him odious. I do, too. Yeah. But um, I don't want uh, lies to be the currency about Trump. Um, no. I no. Mean, Barack Obama, he did the same thing with this immigration thing, didn't he? No. Not even close. Not even, not even, not even remotely close. What? Not, no, no. Okay. No, 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 no. Actually, even. I need filling in on this because yeah. I don't know how this is all working. Is this your next subject? Yeah, this is my next subject. Or did you, you want to go on from no, there? No, 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 that's fine. Okay. That's why I was just talking, you know, these are just recent examples of how divided things are getting that yeah, it's yeah, used yeah. either for or against Trump. Now, the immigration thing, it's been a debacle, you know, with, without a doubt. And Barack was very compassionate about it. They, they never split families. There's a, there's a law in the books, not a law, there's a, I don't know what you want to call it, a statement on the books where you could do that if, you know, possibly if you wanted to, you know, separate families. But nobody's ever done it. And Barack certainly didn't do it. Mm -hmm. You just, you know, you just 
get the people, process them, and send them back if, or whatever. If they're asylum seekers, you give them their, their day in court and see if they can, you know, uh, apply. Um, but never split families like this. And this is the thing with Trump. I mean, he's such an asshole. I mean, there's just no bottom line. You keep saying he's not more evil than, than Nixon, way more evil than Nixon. No, because he, he started out for two weeks and said that it was the Democrats' law. The Democrats' law. There's no law in the books. There's no law in the books. And the Democrats certainly didn't have anything to do with it. Mm. Then he said it couldn't be done by executive decision. Couldn't be done. Couldn't be done. No, couldn't be. And he held a million press conferences everywhere. Said couldn't be done. And then when the heat got too much, I mean, the heat was tremendous this last week. I mean, everybody was up in arms, including a lot of Republicans. Guess what, folks? He signs an executive order. Goddamn thing is stopped just like that. He doesn't really know how government works. He does not have a clue. But, I mean, he's an asshole because mm. he's using, you know, he is a racist and a jerk. And he is using this power to demean people and tear everything apart and separate things. You know, I, you know, he, okay, so then he thinks it's all done. It's all, it's all, you know, it's all, hey, this is great. I fixed the problem. He didn't fix the problem. There's 2,300 kids roaming around America without their parents. They're not roaming, but they're shipped to 17 different states. They're not at the border. People just think it's all at the border. There's 1,000 kids in New York. Okay. They're, they're now, shipped all over the place. Fill me in on this. What the hell is going on? You've got someone coming up to the border between Mexico and the USA. Yep. Uh, let's say a mum and two kids yep. trying to get into the USA. Yep. Right? Yep. Why don't they just say, sorry, you, you can't just do that and, and point them and say, can you go back to Mexico, please? And, you know, you can apply to to legally uh, yep. come to the USA. So for, uh, and why don't they just point to, off, off you go, go back? You could do that. Mexico they, probably needs you. They did They they did do that. And, and a lot of them aren't Mexicans. Most of them are from Guatemala, Al Honduras and cares? Guatemala. Yeah, I know. Right. I know. But they did do that. With they, when they had kids, they said, no, you can't come in, blah, 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 and you got to go. Now, Trump started this policy. It wasn't, it wasn't out of thin air. Trump directed his attorney general zero tolerance. Yeah. Which so meant... Zero tolerance is going no, back to Mexico. No, that meant that they arrested everybody. Zero tolerance. They arrested the kids, they arrested the parents, and split them. And now the problem is you got 2,300 kids... They got no goddamn idea how to get the kids back to the parents. That's oh, how yeah. stupid these people yeah, are, yeah, yeah. how incompassionate they are. They have no idea. Some of these kids are going to be roaming around, and they're never going to get back with their parents. I really don't get this. I really don't. Surely the easiest thing to do, if you find someone who's come in illegally, you send them back. Exactly. Done. Exactly. And we've never had this problem that should please, Trump. That should please the most uh, strident Republicans on immigration. No, they're Shouldn't it? no, they're racist. Trump is a total racist. You know, this is how bad it is. There is a jogger from France. Her mother lives in Canada, and she was jogging. She came over to visit. She was jogging along the beach and inadvertently entered America, which you can do very easily along mm. the Canadian border because mm. there's not a lot of signs out there in the, in the forest right. and along the beaches. She was detained for two weeks. Really? She's jogging. Well, how would and, they know? She's probably oh, yeah, trying yeah. to get into trying the to get How in. could you tell the diff? You know? How could you tell the diff, actually? Oh, for 
Christ's sakes. How could you tell the difference? She's a lone female woman. She got nothing. She got shorts on. Do do. She could. They could talk to her and say, "What's the deal? Yeah, okay. Check her out yeah. and, and and let her go." Yeah, yeah. You yeah. don't have to hold somebody for two weeks. No, no. The in border, the back. The border patrol Send in the, the New England states are now Send these cheese-eating surrender <laughs> monkey doggers. Back, because they obviously have no sense of direction. Well, Does she find herself in Maine or something? I don't know what, what part it was. It Washington. Was, it was someplace up up north, you know. I'm just but, tr- thinking beach and America. But that's the, that's the problem with this immigration thing, is that Trump is a is such a lying asshole. And see, this is where you know this is where we're delving into where I think he's more evil than Nixon. Okay. He calls up a whole he, he, this week at the White House. Once again, he's done this on the campaign trail. He calls up a dozen families that have had loved ones murdered by illegal immigrants. And they have the big pictures of their loved ones, and he stands there, and he goes on and on and on about illegal immigrants coming to America. They have nothing to do with the families that are being torn apart. Absolutely nothing. And he's using that to scare people. I looked at a chart this week. We're at a 46 low of people coming into America. There's no army of people trying to get into America. Most of these people, and you might want to look at our politics, we're messing around with people in Honduras. They got a coup going on there, a lot of violence, and some of those people are saying, shit, I got to get out of here or I'm going to die. So they come to the American border. So a lot of that is partly our fault to start with. Mm. And we're showing them no mercy, no compassion. It's a scandal, it's a disgrace. And yet, Trump thinks that this is a political winner for him. And he continues to lie every day. He was, at, he was at two different rallies this week. He was in Duluth, Minnesota, and then he was in Las Vegas, Nevada. And there are cheering people going bananas for this guy. And all i got to say to you, which is a lot of what other people say, if you're cheering for this asshole, you're a racist, you're a moron, oh, yeah. you're supporting a fraudulent president you're supporting a con man yeah. a cheat a pathological liar that's what you're supporting if you scream at those people like that i don't I'll, give a shit that's, anymore that's how we got no 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 bullshit i yeah. feel fine screw those people they're jumping up there and down go. and frothing at the mouth and they're feeling sorry for him and they i've seen a, a, like a dozen vox pops this week on youtube and they asked the trump supporters well why do you support a liar oh you know he lies but you know he's you know give the guy a break give he's the guy hilarious. a break give the guy a break hey. they know he's a liar they yeah. don't give a shit no. they're morons because He's, you're he's not, not gonna, Hillary. You're not going to change him. Nah, no. It doesn't matter. Hillary's, Hillary's gone. She's yeah. gone. Yeah. You got this asshole in the, in the office right now being supported by a bunch of dumb shit Americans. Mm. And the, the immigration thing is not going away. They think it's, the, the Republicans are so stupid. They think that, oh, well, he signed the order that we don't have to separate families. It's not going away because they got 2,300 kids, and it's going to take months to get those kids reunited with their parents, and some of them are never, never going to get reunited with their parents. This story is going to go on for months. Send them back. Hey, we they don't have a system. They don't even, you would think, I mean, just logically, see, you and I are logical. We think, okay, the government, okay, you got a mom and two kids, okay? Yeah. You're 1A, your kids are both 1A. That means that we got you down in a book as 1A, and you got two children. As 1A, pretty simple, put it down on a ledger, they got nothing. 
They just grab them and ship them. They have no records. They don't know who these people are. They deport the parents. They don't know how to get in contact with them. It, it's unbelievably, uh, it's, it's, a, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. That is ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. All right. Oh, um, I mean, we are the assholes of the planet at the moment. Well, hey, you do a lot of, America does a lot of good we things. We do a lot of good stuff, but right at the moment, we ain't doing much. Yeah, 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 all right. Oh, you know, you go, oh. ah, all right. You know, Trump last week said that, oh, not uh, all of America has gone down the toilet uh, because of this day. America, rest easy, because I've solved the North Korean crisis. Uh, I've solved it. Kim and I are like buddy-buddy. We're sleeping in the same sleeping bag. Uh, you know what he did on Friday? He issued a statement saying, well, they, they've still got their nukes, so we, we've got to address that issue. Oh, really? What a what a dick. It was just a show for <laughs> both of them. God. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's done less. Yeah, well, see, Trump, you know, he comes up with these false statistics all the time. I mean, this is the thing. This is why I say he's evil, because he's such a liar, and everything is a lie. Everything is a lie. He can't, not that totally a lie, but he doesn't tell the whole truth. I mm -hmm. mean, some of them are out-and-out -out lies, and then some of them are just half-truths, which he, you know, does all the time. Mm. You know, he said in 18 months he's created 3.5 million jobs since he's been in office. 3.5 mm. million jobs. Well, guess what? The last 18 months of Obama's administration, they created 4 million jobs. So he's done less. Yeah. He's created less. <laughs> Unemployment's really plummeting in the USA. It's oh, it's, really, a, it's, it's a like, good. It's like 3.7%. There you go. That's nice, isn't it, John? That's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Isn't that a good thing? That's a good thing. But, you know, hate crimes are up 70%. White supremacists, the KKK, every asshole in America is riding a white horse right now because of this asshole in the White House keeps encouraging it. He doesn't say anything against Nazis, what against white supremacists. What, what, where are the Nazis? Where are these white supremacists? Uh, where have they got power? Where have they got jurisdiction? Well, they killed the woman in Charlotte. Ask her parents. In general, it, I just don't see the white supremacists having um, truck either in the media or in power. Oh, go to the, go to the South, baby. Uh. Go to the South. Go to the southern region of America. And, and start spouting like, you know, you like gay people. See how far you get. All right. People magazine. Oh, this, now, this is very interesting. I want to read you something here. This is Trump hmm. to People magazine. If I were to run for president, I'd run as a Republican. They're the dumbest group of voters in the country. They believe anything on Fox News. I could lie and they'd still eat it up. I bet my numbers would be terrific. When did he say that? It had to be after Fox started, 1996. 1998. Oh! So in 1998, all you morons that voted for him, he called you morons. He knew that he could lie to you and you would eat it up. He knew that he could control Fox News and you would eat it up and believe anything this asshole bullshitter says. So you think about that. You're supporting somebody that lies every day, that manipulates every day, that makes money. Ivanka and Jared made $82 million this year working out of the White House, and Trump has made millions more. You think about that. He's using you. He's using the government. He's just destroying the fabric of everything that we stand for, and you're jumping up and down and salivating and cheering on this jerk-off.
Nice going. It was a lie, was it not? No, I think it's really unfortunate. But, you know, I'm, I am anti-Trump like you, but I don't think people need to uh, manipulate in order to make a point. I think he's quite capable of uh, embarrassing himself or yeah. by himself. Yeah, the, the crying baby thing. And, uh, yeah. You know, that famous bawling baby being split from her mother? Yeah, I listened was to it. Was it? It wasn't. My mother was right there. Oh, uh, yeah. But and kids, it was just ex emotional oh, there, there, was, uh, there was another one. There's tons of those yeah, tapes yeah, yeah. around. Yeah, Not, exactly. You exactly. Know. That means that's why you don't need to use that. Well, yeah, and, and, and lie about it. But it's that's that's not a you know okay. The the mother was standing there. The baby's still crying. Yeah, yeah, they're, cool. they're, babies they're, cry about all they're, sorts they're, of things. Yeah, but they're frisking her, and they're they're yeah. eventually going to separate them. And there were a lot of other tapes of kids crying. So Ch use those. They use the ones where they are being separated. Don't lie about that stuff because it it, it it's embarrassing. You know, that's such a small. That's that infinitesimally minute compared to what that asshole in the White House does still, every yeah, single yeah, yeah, day. Yeah, it's still an own goal. I mean, blatant, it's blatant still lie. Still an own goal, and I don't like scoring. And own that's goals what it, that's on my team. Well, fair enough. But I don't like. That's what I don't like about the mere American media. They're way too polite to this jerk. He calls fake news every time. You know what happened this year? Or this year, I mean, we just found out in the election, the National Enquirer, which supports Trump, sent their articles about him and other people concerning the election to Michael Cohen, his attorney, to vet before they published them. Oh. I mean, that is such bullshit. And he calls fake news all the time on reputable news organization, and he is nothing but fake news. National nothing. Enquirer, does anyone take that seriously? Yes, though? it's in every goddamn supermarket in America. Oh, all no. the morons that voted for Trump <laughs> have a subscription to it. They've got a, a weekly feature about Bigfoot, haven't they? It's Bigfoot, sort of aliens sticking things up God, your ass. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, they got the whole thing. God bless but, America. <laughs> <laughs> right on, brother. Okay. Thanks, John. <laughs> Thanks, Graham. The Weekend Variety Wireless. Great British Railway Journeys is coming up, Series 5, in fact. Uh, new season premiere starting on Saturdays from the 30th of June, 8.30 p.m. on the Living Channel. That's one of those things you get on Sky. The host, you might think it was, well, a bit weird, a bit remarkable that former Conservative MP and uh, Cabinet Minister, Michael Portillo, is the host. Hello, Michael. Hello, Graham. Michael Portillo, you've, you've made a real transformation, haven't you, from, you know, politics, Cabinet, all that sort of stuff that you, you have to do. It's a different type of media arrangement. Um, you're now a broadcaster and presenter of something like this, this train journey thing. I am, and yes, it's a, it's a different job, although in some ways there are elements of continuity. It's still about communicating with people. I hope it's still about enthusiasm for my subject, about having a sort of conviction for what I'm talking about. So I think some of the skill sets are the same, uh, but of course... Uh, I'm, I'm not on a political stage, and uh, it's, it's a different environment, a different setup. Yeah. How has that changed your life, going from the political stage to this broadcasting one? Well, it's reduced uh, the stress levels in my life dramatically. Ah. Um, although, I, although I very much enjoyed politics, uh, it is accompanied by terrible levels of stress. 
And I think the levels of stress that you can take at various stages in your life, you know, vary. So what I was willing to endure when I was in my 40s and 50s is not what I'm willing to endure now that I enjoy the, uh, the benefits of a senior rail pass. Yeah, okay. Is there a particular passion for the either the industrial age, the, the British industrial and scientific advancement, I suppose, from the Enlightenment? And it really did change the world, whichever way you want to slice it. Yes. My main, my main passion is history, you know, in general. I, I'd be happy investigating almost any aspect of history. But I think you're right that, you know, something very extraordinary happens in Britain. And we're right to say Britain because quite a lot of it happens in Scotland as well as what happens in England. There is a Scottish as well as an English Enlightenment, and some of the key figures are Scottish. But um, an extraordinary, one of these extraordinary moments in history where people come together and start to think the unthinkable, possibly partly because of religious freedom in Britain. Um, there are a lot of people who feel that there should be no constraints on what they study and what conclusions they reach. I mean, the most stunning example of that, you know, is Charles Darwin comes up with his thesis on the origin of species, uh, in which he, you know, deals a tremendous blow to the biblical explanation of the creation. Uh, and actually, Darwin is very nervous about it. He holds back for years before he'll publish. But in the end, people are willing to say what they think, and there are no boundaries to uh, to discovery or to the publication of discovery. So I think that's one of the factors, that um, that curious religious liberalism which exists in Britain at just the right moment. You couldn't get more religious liberalism than Darwin being buried in Westminster Abbey. <laughs> Oh, I believe that Darwin continued to the end of his life to be a, a, a devout Christian, which is why he, you know, hesitated about... Is that what they told you? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, tell us about the series. Where do you go? What do you do? And, and rail, like, today, reflecting on the past. Yeah. Well, in New Zealand, you're going to see the fifth British series, um, and we're presently making the tenth. So it's been, a, it's been a long process, but a very happy process. So I travel around by train. My focus in this uh, series is on 1864, because I'm carrying uh, a guidebook, a Bradshaw's guidebook from that period. And so we're looking at things that were going on in that period. To some extent, we're talking about, you know, how railways affected the economy and social life and so on. But then to some extent, we're just talking about everything that's going on at the time. And maybe we'll find a railway connection. So, for example, in this series, we go to Rochester, which is in Kent. Uh, it was a place where Ch Charles uh, Dickens lived for a long period of time. Uh, as we go around, we discover what may have been some of the uh, inspirations that are to be found in that place. But we also discover that Charles Dickens was involved in a very serious uh, railway accident with many fatalities. It's thought that he helped to, you know, rescue people. Uh, I think using his top hat, uh, I can't remember quite what he used it to do, but maybe to, you know... Say blood. ...find up wounds or so. Or, yeah, I can't remember God. exactly what it was. But um, and, and thereafter, by the way, he had a fear of travelling by train, although he continued to travel by train, overcoming his fears because he crossed the United States from side to side uh, lecturing. So that's the kind of thing we come across. You know, we're not, not just looking at railways, we're looking at all sorts of other things that are going on. Yeah. We, we might be... We might discover the home of the Bronte sisters. That's a, 
another example from this series. So we're quite often looking at literature and art and music of the period as well. New Zealand especially is so ill-served by railway and we don't have <laughs> that sort of culture. Can you explain the culture of rail, how it is in, in Britain and how it um, manifests in the, in the feeling of Britain. We just don't have it here. We were too, just too late, really. Yes, it is an interesting question. So Britain has the first railways in the world, and there is railway mania to begin with. So entrepreneurs are building railways everywhere, higgledy-piggledy. There's no government intervention in the process at all, except that you have to take an act through Parliament, a private act through Parliament, to get permission to build your railway. But speculators are coming in. People are making uh, fortunes. Uh, before, by the way, most of them then lose fortunes because the railways turn out, you know, in the long term not to be profitable. And so at one time, you know, almost every village and hamlet in Britain is, has its railway station. And obviously this transforms life because before that uh, people moved from one village to another either by walking or at the speed of a horse. And so people's horizons are completely transformed by the arrival of the railways. And it has extraordinary social consequences. I mean, for example, women who on the whole have been kept at home and it's never been thought seemly that a woman should venture out without being chaperoned are now travelling long distances by railway on their own. So maybe it plays an important part in the emancipation of um, women as well. And right through to the 1960s, most of the country was connected in that way. In the 1960s, quite a lot of railways closed, so the smaller villages and so on lost their railways. But even today, the railway plays an important part, I would say, in most people's lives. Now, most people would not speak well of the railways because they're daily commuters. They're going into Manchester or Birmingham or London every day, and they're highly dissatisfied with the cancellations of the standard of service and so on. But there's another sort of railway travel, which is the sort that I indulge in, which means that, you know, I can go almost anywhere by train. I'll probably have a little bit of a road journey at the other end, to be truthful, to get to wherever I'm going. But the railway does put, you know, most most things in the country uh, within reach. And when you're travelling like that, when you're travelling for pleasure and leisure, then people do tend to uh, people do tend to enjoy. It. And every time you're in a traffic jam, you think back to how much happier you would be if you were on a train. Mm. Michael Portillo is with us, and you've had a luminous history as a conservative politician. That is one of the reasons. I suspect one of the major reasons why uh, you are hosting this and have become quite a media figure post-politics. So therefore I'm going to use this, um, I'm going to lever myself into asking you a few things about politics today. Brexit, your thoughts on Brexit, you've never really been a Euro person, have you? Uh, it depends what you mean by Euro person. I, I, I think of myself as fundamentally European. Uh, I have dual nationality, uh, British and Spanish. Uh, I at least understand, you know, French and Italian as well as Spanish. I have um, uh, O-levels, if you know what they are, I mean, basic certificates uh, in Russian and German. So I think of myself very much as a European, but not a fan of the European Union, which is something rather different. European Union is a political organisation, uh, and I believe that its creation is at the expense of democracy and accountability, which is the reason why I'm uh, very suspicious of it. And the way in which the European Union is bullying uh, the United Kingdom at the moment, because the United Kingdom has dared to declare 
that it wishes to leave, I think is an example of, you know, why we should be leaving. Yeah, so many criticisms. In fact, it's it's almost um, blanket. The criticism of uh, those that were for Brexit, um, it's like the default setting. You're xenophobic, you're racists. Um, there can be other reasons. Uh, indeed, there can. And, yeah, I, I mean, I think... Um, I think you're right that um, an embittered establishment here uh, has sought to blacken those who who dared to vote against what the establishment wanted. But, mm. I mean, one of the main reasons, I think, why um, the Brexit voters won was that the establishment was so united on the other side. You know, if you've got all the major political parties, bar one, and all the bankers and the representatives of industry and the Financial Times and the BBC lined up on one side, I think a lot of people thought, wow, if it's good for all of them, it can't be good for us. Yeah. Um, because I've got you at the end of the line, I must ask you this. When Margaret Thatcher died, there was a universal uh, um, decrying of what she did. You were a Thatcher, right? You were with her. Uh, you went for... You were in cabinet, for goodness sake. Um, you'd open up the window and you'd hear the witches dead uh, when, when, when she died. However, she was elected twice. Where were all those people? Uh, she was elected three times. Sorry. Uh, she, she was never defeated by the British people. She was brought down by her own party. But I think your memory of the funeral day is wrong. The, the streets were lined 10 and 20 deep and they weren't people who were there to uh, yell uh, abuse. Um, I mean, again, I think, you know, a section of people have managed to shout very loudly. But I'm pretty sure that historians, when they look at Margaret Thatcher, will think that she was one of the two or three greatest prime ministers of the 20th century. And they'll think that she, you know, led Britain in an extraordinary way um, out of uh, a, a, a terrible feeling that we were bound for long-term decline. We've entirely lost our morale. We've lost our, our moral compass entirely. And, and she changed all of that, you know. She managed to make Britain a country that was noticed around the world. We managed to deal with the trade union problem. We stood up to the Soviet Union. Uh, one of the consequences, I think, was that the Soviet Union collapsed. Uh, and I think historians will put her in her proper place. I, I think her, her shortcoming as a politician was she defined herself by what she was against. I mean, I've just illustrated that, you know, against the trade unions, against the Soviet Union. And so she was so successful that once she had uh, killed her demons, um, people said, well, now what are you for? And that was more difficult. Ah. Life after politics. Uh, does the politics, you say it's far less stressful, but does some of it still follow you around? Some of what, sorry? Some of the politics. Um, so they follow me around? Yeah. Um, only to a tiny extent. I, I do um, a weekly political chat show. It's a, a satirical late-night television show, but it's, it's quite popular. And um, I'm, I'm pleased to say that it's been on for 15 years, so a lot of people have seen it in that time, even if they don't watch it every single week. So for that reason, I stay in touch. But it's interesting, when I'm out and about filming, um, near everybody comes up and talks to me wants to talk to me now about the railway journeys, about the programs that I've made. Yeah. And just very occasionally, someone will pop up uh, <laughs> 
with um, an unpleasant comment which goes back 20 years or so. But that is pretty, pretty rare. Yeah, yeah. I've seen you on Pet Shows and stuff, and it seems as though, mm. you know, you maybe, I don't know, because I haven't spoken with you before. In your head, you've, you're looking back on your politics and, 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 you know, from both sides, yours and other people's. How is your idea of how the world works, has it changed since you were going for the uh, leadership of the Conservative Party? Um, I think the quick answer to that is that no. I mean, the, the contribution I make now when, I, when I'm discussing politics on television or anywhere else is, you know, kind of elder statesman, or certainly elder, even if it's not statesman. But in other words, someone who's looking back on things after a long time and with quite a lot of experience, you know, mm. someone who's seen, seen the, the wheel go round and it's going round again. Uh, I mean, you know, just think about the Brexit thing for a moment. You know, the Conservative Party has been divided by the European issue for more than 30 years. And so, you know, I've seen it all before. I kind of know how it plays out. I understand the different factions. So without any more having a very intimate knowledge, I, on the whole, don't know many members of Parliament anymore. Almost none of them who are there now were there when I was there, um, you know, up to uh, 30 years ago. Um, but I kind of know how the issues play out. So that's, that's the role I play when I'm on a panel. A kind of broad rather than a detailed knowledge, if you see what I mean. I appreciate it. Um, this is The Great British Railway Journey, Season 5. Uh, and Michael Portillo will take you through these journeys. Michael, advice to politicians today, having been there at the very highest level, you know, bar one. Advice to politicians today. Uh, uh, what would my advice be? Try to be yourself, I think, is the best advice. Why is it so hard for politicians? Yes. Beca well, partly because to get ahead in the first place, um, it's useful for people to recognize you. And to recognize you, they put you in a pigeonhole. But once you're in the pigeonhole, it's very difficult to get out of it. So people construct an idea of who you are. And at first, that's kind of very useful because... You, you know, you welcome the attention, you welcome the fact that people are coming to you again and again to talk about a particular issue. But once that mould has been established, it's very, very difficult to break out of it. So if you are identified as, I don't know, a railway expert, it'd be very, it'd be very difficult for people to come to you um, wanting your advice on health policy. Mm. Or once you've established yourself as a right-winger, it's very difficult to explain to people that some of your views might be more complicated than that or might even be somewhat unexpected so the advice i give is be yourself but i'm very aware that that is uh, extremely difficult actually to pull off yeah and people can be tarnished with being called as something when they aren't as something because somebody wants to call them that and tarnish with it um i hope people yes. listening to me understand what i'm saying <laughs> i'm sure they will yeah all right, Michael Portillo, it's been a pleasure and um, thank you very much for giving us some of your time. We look forward to the show. It's on The Living Channel. And um, mm -hmm. thank you very much for the time that you've given us. Cheers. Yeah, my pleasure. Bye. Just considering uh, a little bit of what Michael Portillo was talking about, uh, about the Brexiteers.
found this piece this week, a fresh thing from Jonathan Pye, a tremendous satirist. Uh, he exists on YouTube, and he's becoming quite a thing. I think it's self-explanatory. I hope I bleeped all the Fs. And many who are calling for a vote on the final Brexit deal are suggesting that the majority of Leave voters were ill-informed and didn't know what they were voting for. Meanwhile, I am f***ing sick of this f***ing bullshit. Sorry, Tim. Sorry, Tim. If, if we're going to be saying that Leavers are ill-informed, then please can you prove to me that Remainers aren't? Okay, ask your average Remainer to explain in detail the relationship between the EU Parliament and the EU Commission. How, do, how does that work? Yeah, I'll tell you how it works, badly and undemocratically. Okay, I am a Remainer, but I am f***ing sick of this assumption that all Leave voters are thick and ill-informed and probably more than just a little bit racist. It's too f***ing easy to say that more people voted differently to me because they didn't know what the f*** they were talking about than it is to admit to ourselves that we lost the debate because we weren't persuasive enough. Okay, maybe we lost the debate because we spent most of the debate calling anyone that was thinking of voting Leave stupid. I mean, it is possible to vote on a broad principle without knowing all the information. Okay? I don't need all the ins and outs of Philip Hammond's fiscal policy to know he's a f***ing weasel. Most people vote on principle and rarely because of what it says on the side of a bus or because of Russian bots or the colour of their passport. The Ashcroft poll showed that the number one reason, way above immigration, why people voted leave was because they believed that the laws that govern this country should be made in this country. They voted on a principle of sovereignty that doesn't require a nuanced knowledge of how Brussels implements legislation. Most people voted remain in the belief that we would be economically more secure. That was the belief, which is a f***ing good reason to vote remain, which is the reason that I voted to remain. But the real reason Brexit is such a shitstorm is not because working-class people are thick or the electorate was woefully ill-informed. It's because the Tories are willfully prepared to sacrifice all the possible benefits of Brexit to deal with short-term party political problems. Brexit is a shitstorm because many Tories are using Brexit to position themselves for a power grab when May's premiership finally wet-farts itself out of existence. Brexit is a shitstorm because the only politicians who are actually saying what they actually really think are the likes of Boris Johnson and Reese smog. Now, I hate Reese smog but he says what he thinks. I don't like what he thinks, but at least I know what he thinks. Everyone else, everyone else is just making it up as they go along. Labour are hemorrhaging support at the moment. If they were to just turn around and say, we're leaving the EU, this is how we would do it. I guarantee they'd win an easy majority tomorrow. But instead, you've got people who are, who are saying, oh, if we thwart Brexit or if Parliament votes against the final deal, this government would collapse. Yes, yes it would, but to what end? Yes, the Tories are bastards, but that doesn't mean the EU aren't. Barnier, Tusk, Juncker, Hofstadt, these people aren't our friends. These are right-leaning politicians who are derided in their own country. I'm sick of Brexit, I'm fucking sick of Brexit. Anyway, where was I? Yes, so another extraordinary week of political wrangling and manoeuvring over the Brexit negotiation. <laughs> This is the Weekend Variety Ones on Radio Live. New sport and weather coming at you at approximately the speed of light.
And after the info burst, uh, an outsider tale that has missed the archive. Uh, the story of Bully Hayes. South Pacific and New Zealand's very own swashbuckling buccaneer pirate larger than life, definitely an alpha male.